Praise the Lord, everybody. What a wonderful spirit of the Lord is in this place. I just believe the Lord wants to do something wonderful here tonight. It is an honor, as always, to minister to this great body, and I give honor to Pastor. Don't want to take this pulpit without doing that. If you have your Bible, I'm going to be very mindful of the time. I'm going to take you to the book of Luke. The second chapter in the 49th verse, and if you were to send conference, I promise I'm not preaching Brother Carson's message. I'm just going to borrow Brother Carson's story. But if you weren't at a send conference, don't worry. I may fill you in a little bit there too. Luke chapter number 2, verse 49, and I'll go ahead and give you the, the context of where we are going to read. This is the story that you heard on Thursday evening, I believe, at a send Mary and Joseph have gone into the city for the Passover. They've gone now and done the ritual. They've gone through and they've completed the custom of the Passover. And now they're a journey's, a day's journey into the wilderness. And they've come to the realization that Jesus is not in the company. And so they make a U-turn. And they begin to search for Jesus. And when they find him, this is the middle of the conversation that ensues between Jesus and his parents. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? Brother Carson read this verse in his message this weekend. This first question that Jesus asked Mary and to Joseph stood out to me when he looked at them and he said, how is it that you sought me? How is it that you sought me? So if you allow me to use that portion of this text and simply speak to this great body, the simple rule of seeking. The simple rule of seeking. Why don't we lift our hands and our voices together. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for the moving and the ministering of your spirit. We ask you, God, to do whatever you desire, however you desire to do it. For you are good and you are perfect. You are matchless and there is none like you. Move and minister in this place however you see fit in the wonderful name of Jesus. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. For this great church family, it is no surprise that in the last two years of my life, I have been given an unlimited amount of sermon illustrations. They come in the form of a three-foot-tall two-year-old. And if you've heard one of those stories, you've heard three of those stories. Sermon illustrations for me go one or two ways, Brother Shannon. I'm either going to discuss Little Debbie's or I'm going to discuss my child. And maybe I'm going to discuss a combination of the two. In fact, uh, my child has a very short list of things in the world that he loves. The first is Pawpaw. The second is Pawpaw's tractor. And the third is snacks. It's the only way we know that he is my child. But on the short list of things that he loves is a game 
that children love to play called hide and go seek. The only game ever invented that does not come with a 4,000-page novel of how to play it. Those guys were so smart, they just figured out how to name it and give instructions all at the same time. How do you play it? Hide and go seek. No further description is needed. It's explained in the name of the game. That doesn't happen in Uno. That doesn't happen in Yahtzee. That doesn't happen in Monopoly for sure. And whatever game my sister tried to teach us the other week, what was that? At Easter. Hardly. Who even names a game that? Don't play it. There's 16 pages you have to read before you understand what is happening. Hide and go seek is far more easy. Landon's favorite game in the entire world. It's even better that he has the same hiding spot no matter how many rounds you play. In his room there is a teepee. And in this teepee is him. Every time. No matter how many rounds. No matter how many times. 4,000 times where's Landon? I love to wander through the house and I say, Landon, where are you? Are you in the kitchen? Yeah. Knowing good and well he's not in the kitchen, he's in the teepee. Landon, are you in the bathroom? Hiding in the shower? Yeah. Wrong. He's in the teepee. It's kind of a weird thing because his life is, kind of looks like a natural history museum. My wife dressed him like a pilgrim for the first year and a half, and now he has a teepee in his room. We're going to start charging tickets for four, before long. You can come check out the history museum in the apartment. He doesn't look like a pilgrim today. He may have looked semi like a pilgrim this morning. Some kind of little smocked bubble suit. If you wear anything that is called smocked or bubble suit, you better be under one. But I'd wander through the house and say, where is Landon? And slight giggles ring out from the teepee of his room as he responds. He loves the game hide-and-go-seek because one of two things is going to happen in that game. Either you're going to find him or he's going to find you. Those are the only two outcomes of the game. Can I tell you the same is true in life? There are two outcomes for those that are seeking, you can find him. But let me tell you, he's just as much looking for you as you are looking for him. He's just as much searching for lost and hurting and wounded humanity as we are searching for his help and his hope and his strength. Can I tell you, there's one or two outcomes. You can find him or you can rest assured he is searching for you. In fact, woven through the pages of Scripture is seen what happens when men seek God. It's not far into the Scripture before you see what happens when men seek Him and they seek His way and they seek His will. 
But even before the pages of Scripture reveal to us what happens when men seek God, it reveals to us that it is God's nature to seek men. If you don't believe me, read Genesis 3. It is the chapter that is notably found, the fall of man. Genesis 3 and 6 gives the detail of the fall of man. They partake of the fruit. Sin enters into the world. And just two short verses later, here's what it says in Genesis 3 and 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Before there was ever a mention of judgment, God asked a rhetorical question. Where are you, Adam? God was well aware of where Adam was. God was well versed with what had happened in his world. God knew before he asked that Adam had fallen into a sinful condition. Why? Because he is an all-knowing God. And with this in mind, you see what God's view is for fallen humanity. You see God's perspective of fallen man. He knows where Adam is. He knows what Adam's done. He's well versed with where they are. But still he searches and he seeks. And still he looks and he listens. And still he walks the garden with a question in mind. Adam, where art thou? Why? Because it is the nature of God to seek and to save that which is lost. It's not just seen in Luke when he declares it. It's seen in Genesis from the beginning where sin entered into the world. It was the design. It was the plan of God to find fallen men. We read this often in the midst of the tragic story of fallen humanity and we are quick to pass this by and begin to place our attention to the fact that they were uncovered, that they had sinned, that they had fallen, that there was judgment. But let me place into context for you this evening that knowing they had fallen, he came searching. Knowing full well they were uncovered and standing in sin, he came seeking. Before judgment would come, he first came with a question, Adam, where are you? Can I tell you on a Sunday night that regardless of the condition you find yourself in, there is a question posed to you by the great God of glory, where are you? Because it is his nature to seek and to save. That's what Luke says in the 19th chapter and the 10th verse. It's what is relayed to us when you find the angelic unfolding story of his birth. When the angel looks to Mary and says, you're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then two verses later, it says, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. The angel was not confused about his name. The first identifies the nature of God, and the second identifies the purpose of God. It is his nature to be near you. It is his nature to be with you. It is his nature to be in you. It is the nature of God to be near. But it is the purpose of God to save men from 
their sin. It's his nature to be near, but it is the divine purpose, and it was his divine plan to save men from their sin. So let me remind you on a Sunday evening, wherever your family is, wherever your children may be, whatever circumstances have befallen them, we're serving a God that is seeking and saving that which is lost. There's no greater glimpse into the nature of God than is revealed in the very beginning in the fall of man. If you want to know what God's nature is, it's to come searching for you. Before he issues judgment, before there's recompense for sin, he first comes seeking. In fact, before the parable of the lost coin would enter into the pages of Scripture, before the unfolding of the wayward sheep, There was first the story of Adam and Eve where he sought them. Before he ever tells the story of the lost coin, he had already cried out, Where art thou? Before sin would ever be seen, the plan of a Savior would already be instituted. Revelation 13 and 8 would refer to it when it would state this, For he is the Lamb slain from the foundation. Of the world. So beautifully woven into the pages of your Bible is the desire of God to seek and to save. It is impossible to preach about seeking God without telling you that God is seeking you. It's impossible to preach about you having a relationship with Him without informing you that God desires to have a relationship with you. Regardless of where you find yourself, regardless of how inadequate you feel, His nature is to be near. His nature is to seek and save. His nature is to find you where you are. There's testimony galore among this house of those who can lift their hands and say, he came looking for me. He was reaching for me. Maybe he reached for you through the words of a preacher from a pulpit, or maybe he reached for you from the words of a saint in a grocery store. But by whatever method you got here, thank God that he searches for that which is lost. And if we have a commission, and if we are to be like him, and if we are to imitate him, and if we are made in his image, then it must be ingrained into the nature of the church that we are here to seek and to save, that we are here to search for the hurting and to be a haven for the hopeless. Oh, why don't we clap our hands to the Lord? Pages of scripture ring true. God certainly seeks the fallen, the wayward, the wounded, and the hurting. Nowhere clearer seen than as you read through the pages of the New Testament and you come across beautiful stories like that of the prodigal, of the lost coin, of the lost sheep, of the good Samaritan. I can tell you I love to read the story of the Good Samaritan. But it's hard, Pastor, for me to read that story without pausing as he pours oil into the wounds 
hard for me to read about oil in the scripture because it has a direct correlation to that of the Holy Ghost. There's always a direct correlation to that of the Spirit. When you find it in the parable of the ten virgin, what is it? It's correlated to that of the Holy Ghost. When you find it in the parable of the Good Samaritan, what is it? It is that of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because it's His Spirit that heals wounded hearts. It's His Spirit that pieces together the broken things of life. It's His Spirit that is poured into a life of a man and brings heat. Why? Because He is the balm in Gilead. He is the healer of all manner of disease. He's the healer of hurting hearts and wounded souls. And He he is looking for you. Oh, I wish you'd lift your hands across this house right now. I tempted, I tempted to preach something else so much so that Brother Arthur told me if I made any more changes, he would charge me. To which I replied, I was good if he took an outdated cashier's check. But I cannot help but feel in this house tonight, God searched you for something. The Spirit of the Lord reaching for hurting and wounded and broken and lost. Maybe it's... You're sitting in this house tonight and you are searching for something. Maybe you don't even know what the something is. But let me tell you, there is a simple rule for seeking. The simple rule of seeking. I'm doing my best to be mindful of the time. I have four minutes and 14 and 13 seconds left on my 20-minute timer. The simple rule of seeking, and I share briefly with you in just a few scriptures. Deuteronomy 4.29, let me get there just a moment. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. Isaiah bears record of the simple rule of seeking. When he says this in Isaiah 55 and 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. He may be found. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 10. Says this, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and everyone that seeketh findeth, and unto him that knocketh it shall be. scriptures woven in through the New and the Old Testament bear record of the same simple rule of seeking that if you will seek him, you will find him. If you want to know what the parameters are, who is it that can seek God and find him? Who is it that can knock and it be opened? Who is it that can ask and receive? Arthur, if you'll give me Luke chapter 11, verse number 10, I want you to see the parameters that he sets. This is who can ask and receive. This is who can seek and find. This is who can knock and it be open. It's 
not reserved for those who've been here the longest. It's not reserved for those who came from the right background. It's not reserved unto those who find themselves living in some perfection state. No, 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 no. That's not who the parameters are. If you want to know who can ask and receive of God, everyone. If you want to know who can seek and find him, everyone. If you want to know who can knock and he'll open, everyone. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter the condition of your world right now. This is not exclusive. It's for everyone. Everybody can ask and receive of Jesus. Everyone can seek and find Jesus. Everybody can knock and he'll open unto them. Let me tell you, this is not just applicable in the sense of salvation. No, 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 no. If you begin reading your scripture and you need God to give you revelation of what the meaning is, you can ask and receive. If there's some things in the spirit realm that you've been knocking on, let me tell you, you meet the qualifications for the door to open. Why? Because you're in everyone. You can seek his will and find it. You can seek his plan and find it. You can seek and find him today for everyone that ask receive it. That word can apply throughout the entirety of that scripture. Everyone that seeks finds. Everyone that knocks, it shall be open. If you're willing to put forth the effort to ask and to seek and to knock, God is willing to honor it and give and open and you'll find. Clearly sets the parameters. So then it begs the question, where, where do I begin to search? If I know the simple rule of seeking is if I seek it, I'll find then where does the search party begin? In closing, I'll share with you where it begins. It begins where we started in the book of Luke chapter 2. Mary and Joseph come to the city for the Passover. They've completed the feast and departed a day's journey to find Jesus was not present among the company. So they begin to search. Frantically, I can only assume Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Can I tell you, it's, it's funny to me they find him in the most predictable place. Where, where, where can we find the Word made flesh? Where can we find God who dwells among us? He, they already knew. If they would have recollected the angelic visitation of his birth, Emmanuel, God, where, where, where can we find God? Sounds like a predictable place would be in his house. Sounds like a predictable place to find him would be in his house. But can I tell you the 12 silent, uneventful years of a life in Nazareth, the poor home, the village carpentry, the natural development had gradually obscured for Mary and Joseph the miraculous memories of his infancy. They'd not forgotten them. 
time and circumstance had covered them with a veil. Because had she only remembered that this was the Word made flesh, the first place to search, the best place to look, How many times does life veil our mind and our memory? And we walk into our week and we've carried loads that were heavier than what we could bear. We've carried burdens and we've carried problems and we've carried circumstances of seasons unwelcomed and uninvited. How many times have we wandered in to a church service just like this and we've sat on the pew weighted by burdens and cares of life, weighted by the circumstance and the season we were in? And we've walked back out the doors saying, well, I just wish somewhere I could find peace. I just wish somewhere I could find hope. I just wish somewhere I could find strength. And the whole time, there's been a veil over our mind. And we were just sitting in the perfect place to find strength. We were just sitting in the perfect place for a miracle. We were just sitting in the perfect place for God to give strength and direction and clarity and peace. We were sitting in the proper place where the Spirit was moving and liberty was found. So let me serve you a simple reminder on a Sunday night. The simple rule for seeking is if you'll seek Him, you'll find Him. And let me serve you one other reminder tonight. You can find Him here. If you're walking into this service seeking peace, you can find the Prince of Peace here. If you've walked into this place finding, needing strength, you can find strength of his right hand here. If you need a refuge for your soul, you can find a tower and a strong tower at that. You can find a shield. You can find a buckler. You come in on a Sunday night needing a restoration of hope. Hope can be found in this house. Healing can be found in this place. Strength can be had in this altar. Miracles can be performed in this service. Why? Because this is the house of God. If you've walked in hungry, welcome to the house of bread. This is a place where the bread come down from heaven and it satisfies the hungering of men's souls. What your circumstance looks like this evening. But whatever it may be, I invite you to just lift up your hands. If you want to join around the front, I welcome you to do that. But I invite you to simply seek Him. Because if you will seek Him, you'll find Him. If you need salvation, if you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I invite you to seek that. I invite you to seek him. Why? Because I firmly believe you'll find him in this place. If you need peace, joy, strength, direction, clarity, I invite you to seek him. Why? Because the simple rule of seeking is you're going to find him.